know, when I was traded to Green Bay, I wasn't real sure where Green Bay was, but I was for certain. I knew who Bart Starr was. I knew what he stood for. I knew that he quarterbacked the Packers in what would be the glory years and and just was a an icon. I knew that. I do remember Bart would always go out of his way to come say hello. And, and I just thought to myself, I mean, this is crazy. Why would he want to talk to me? And, um, you know, just a very humble guy. Bart is that guy that, you know, he is the, the perfect example of what it means to be an incredible player but a better person. You know, I think he's a great role model for all of us. But even more when you're a Green Bay Packer and you realize how much he's meant to this community. You know, one thing that he did, he always would send me a personal letter after I accomplished, you know, something. Not necessarily something of any magnitude. It may have been my first win. It may have been, you know, a three-game stretch. Or it may have been, you know, I didn't play as, as well. And we a tough loss. Send me a nice letter. You know, there'll be better days. That, that's just the type of guy he was. To have people talk about what a great guy you are before what incredible quarterback, I think is a dream of, of many players who play because your reputation lasts longer than, than your body and lasts longer than the stats and the wins. But we wouldn't have this place if it hadn't been for a guy like Bart and the championships that they won and the Super Bowls and the MVPs that he won. But he is an incredible, incredible man and uh, he's been a great friend over the years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. It is Sunday, June 2nd, one month closer to the NFL season. It is also kind of the unofficial start of when people really start paying attention to Major League Baseball. Uh, For those that kind of take a little while to catch up, the NBA Finals are in effect. Uh, As of this morning, the Toronto Raptors have a 1-0 series lead on the Golden State Warriors, but more importantly, the Boston Red Sox are nine and a half games behind my Bronx Bombers in New York, and David Price is pitching on national television against them tonight, and for those that don't know David Price (laughs) and the Yankees history, it's not so good for David Price, so I am enjoying that. Uh, He will take on CeCe Sabathia tonight on ESPN, but that's not what you guys are here for. I'm your host of this Packers-related podcast, even though I do like to gloat about Major League Baseball and anything else of the like. And I am your host, as I mentioned, I am Jacob Westendorf, and joined with me is Jason Perrone. Jason, they keep trying to get rid of us, but they just can't. How are you tonight? I'm good. I can't have as much exciting baseball chat as you can because uh, my Arizona Diamondbacks are playing about as bad as a team can be right now. They're not a bad team. They're just playing very badly. So we can roll right off of that and into, you know, it's always fun when we get to do a show and there's actual Packers news to talk about, whether it's good 
bad or indifferent, I guess. So happy weekend to you. Yeah, as far as Diamondbacks go, I guess you'll always have 2001. Uh, that's that's the only way I can think of as far as cheering up. So, Thank you. That, that is correct. I'm happy to help however I can, even if that was the first time a sporting event ever made me cry. I was 10 years old when the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees in that World Series. And looking back on it, that's ridiculous because I had already seen the Yankees win four titles. Well, not really remember 96 that much, but I'd already seen them win four titles in my lifetime. But, yes, that was the first sporting event that ever made me cry uh, after losing in a playoff series like that. So you'll always have that. Speaking of sports, that was a horrible segue, so forgive me on that. Uh, But we have some news to talk about with the Packers, and we're going to start with the head coach who has joined uh, the injured list. Matt LaFleur suffered a torn Achilles playing. Jason, I have to know because it appears that this is geographical as far as how people decide what this game is called. Is it knockout? Is it lightning? Or is it something else? I'm... So I'm from the Midwest originally, but I've lived in Arizona longer than everywhere, anywhere else. If you add all the years I've lived out here, I've only ever heard it referred to as knockout. Okay. I've called it both knockout and lightning. I guess I wasn't that married to it. I didn't realize this was that big of a deal. But, hey, in the Twitter age, everything is a big deal as far as what you call it. Uh, Having lived in uh, Illinois and Wisconsin, for example, it's the same thing as, like, Calling it soda or pop, I guess that was a big deal. I didn't realize it was when I moved to Wisconsin, but it is. Uh, but yeah, Matt LaFleur tore his Achilles playing knockout lightning, whatever the hell you want to call it, uh, at a basketball court at Lambeau Field and will coach from a cart from OTAs and I believe to the start of training camp. It remains to be seen what his recovery timetable is. I'm interested to see like what the effects of that injury has once he's, you know, in the regular season, is he going to stand on the sidelines? Is he going to have one of those like scooters that they have along? That part is interesting. Jason, I guess if we had to think of it this way, and this is kind of morbid, but nonetheless, if we had to pick a Packers person to have a torn Achilles, I think we're going to be okay with it being the head coach. Am I right? Well, I would prefer that it be like one of the quality control coaches, honestly. Uh, but yes, if we have to pick a coach versus a player, then yeah, obviously, you know, coaches can still do what they do. You know, the interesting thing about this that I thought of, and I'm sure I'd get trashed for it if I put it out there on Twitter, so I will at some point, is think of it this way, though, okay? By the time the regular season starts, Matt LaFleur is going to be able to – he's going to be able to walk around assuming that his recovery goes well. But if he were a player, his season would be over. He would not be able to play. So the recovery for this type of an injury is longer. But think about this. How many times do we see – and I know it's not often, but we do see occasionally coaches have to kind of run down the line to call a timeout last minute something happens. So – this is going to affect Matt LaFleur in the sense of where he stands on the sideline and being more aware of where he's at in relation to the officials. So if he does have to call a timeout, he can get there to do it. That's that's kind of the only thing I thought of as far as, like, fallout on game day. But I don't think it's going to affect any of his, um, his coaching the team. I mean, he was very active 
and was throwing balls a lot of times in practice, was actually like, you know, playing quarterback. He played quarterback when he played, and he's been the one out there throwing balls, and, and so that's going to change. He's not going to be able to do that, but I don't think there's going to be any other drop-off. You know, last, last time I checked, the Packers have some pretty good arms that they can turn to if they need them in, in training camp, and one in particular. Yeah, yeah, they have a couple. I think they'll be okay at the uh, the mock quarterback position, if you will, in this case. That's interesting. I didn't think of the you know the officials and where Lafleur might stand on game day. So that's something that's interesting as far as you know how things are going to go when the season starts. Because yeah, that's really what matters as far as in practice and putting in the offense and all. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, even though he is very hands on based on all the reports that have taken place which I think is a positive thing for this particular team. Uh, it appears to – now, granted, it's a honeymoon stage, and take this for what it is, but the players all sound to be very much on board. It's, they all sound refreshed, new voice, new offense, kind of new everything in Green Bay today. So a little hiccup um, for the the beginning of the season, but hopefully the, the only Achilles injury that the Packers face this season is from their head coach. Uh, but as we have seen, all too often football is a violent game, and players get hurt, so it's it's unlikely that that is the case. The other bit of news is Muhammad Wilkerson, formerly of the Packers and the New York Jets, uh, was pulled over with a suspicion of driving under the influence of alcohol, and, I mean, that's that part isn't huge news, I guess. Um, Jason... It was probably unlikely that Wilkerson was back in Green Bay anyways. They drafted a fifth-round defensive lineman in Kingsley Kiki. They gave him Mo Wilkerson's old number. It seemed like that Wilkerson was a fallback option at best. And with the way the Packers' defensive line is shaped now, it appears that Green Bay is not going to be bringing back Muhammad Wilkerson. So if there was any hope whatsoever, you would think this slams the door on him coming back to Green Bay, would you not? Yeah, he's not coming back to Green Bay at this point. It's unfortunate. I mean, you know, guys make mistakes. People, whether you're a football player or not, you know, some some just feel like they they can handle operating a motorized vehicle after they've had a couple beverages. I don't know what the circumstances were. Again, I don't know what the, the blood alcohol content was, the level was. I mean, DUIs can be a very, uh, you know, uh, objective thing um, or is it subjective, whatever. Like grammar police out there, you know which one I mean. So it's it's unfortunate for him. But, you know, yeah, he was – we talked about it. He wasn't going to be a big option for the Packers. If he – if Muhammad Wilkerson was coming into the Packers, let's assume this doesn't happen – Something really bad has happened to their defensive line room, and that's not a good sign for the team anyway. So, you know, I wish him luck. I hope he beats it. I hope he's, everything is okay. You want to hope there's not a deeper issue there. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of a bummer. Bummer news for, for him. I know it's, it's, it's a messy situation. You know, if anyone's ever gone through it, I haven't personally, but I know a lot of friends that have. It's, uh, it could be a, a messy situation. So, you know, hopefully personally he's okay. But, you know, fortunately, if there can be anything fortunate out of this situation is, is you know, it doesn't it doesn't impact the, uh, the availability for the Packers because he is not on the roster. No, he's not, and he's not going to be. And I think that, you know, I mentioned 
on more than one occasion, really, after the season ended, that I didn't think everybody just kind of started penciling Mo Wilkerson in as this player that, oh, yeah, he'll be back in Green Bay, you know, one-year deal, cheap contract, blah, blah, blah. I never saw that as something that was a given. Uh, I know Wilkerson obviously has the pedigree. He was a talented player. But he suffered a horrific injury in Washington. I mean, for those that haven't, go back and check the story that Michael Cohen of The Athletic wrote on Wilkerson and that injury. It's It was gruesome. And this is a guy who some people wondered if he was washed. Others wondered if it was an effort issue. You know, that all remained to be seen. I guess it's, it's not really fair one way or the other to say what Wilkerson's issue was um, because he never really got a chance to prove anything in Green Bay. So... It, it's probably the end of his time here, and and that's okay because the Packers. I mean, they should always be looking to take the weakest link of their room and make it stronger. Well, I don't know at this stage, especially coming off the injury, how much better does is Mo Wilkerson than say Fidel Brown, Tyler Lancaster, whoever the last guy in your defensive lineman depth chart is. I know a lot of people like to yell at me at Twitter when I say that's Tyler Lancaster, but that's where we're at these days, and that's fine. Um, I just don't know how much better he is than that, and at this stage, I mean, what's he doing for you that you're not going to get from a younger player? And especially knowing now that, I mean, if Wilkerson even were to come, let's just say he signed a one-year contract in August, well, there'd be several reasons that I'm assuming players are injured, but he's not better than Kenny Clark. He's not better than Mike Daniels. Probably not better than Dean Lowry at this stage of his career. You're hoping Montrevious Adams takes a jump. So that means at minimum he's your fifth best defensive lineman. That's at best. So I I just don't see the need for that. Um, But that simple stuff, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, you hope that uh, his health and everything is in good shape. You hope that he can live a productive life. But I would imagine his time in the NFL is pretty close uh, to over. Maybe a team gives him a chance. I would just see that at this stage is unlikely, uh, especially if Green Bay, with his former defensive coordinator that kind of gave him the shot last year, is not interested. So we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, But like you mentioned, it's probably time to move on. Jason, it's the one-week anniversary this morning, uh, and we haven't been able to discuss this because – Last week we recorded and we didn't know that the big news of the week was going to drop uh, that day, and that was that uh, former Packers legend Bart Starr uh, passed away last week. I want to start with this feels like one of those where were you when kind of moments. I don't want to compare it to like a national tragedy or something like that, but just for example, I remember – exactly where I was, what happened, what the circumstances of the day was when I found out Reggie White passed away. Um, you know, I was I was 14 years old, and I was it was the day after Christmas. I'll never forget it. It was when ESPN News was still a big thing and a big highlight show. Uh, it was in the bottom right corner of their ticker, and it said Reggie White passed away um, of sleep apnea. And... Uh, was pronounced dead, uh, and it, this was very similar. Um, I was standing in the dugout. Uh, we played in a baseball tournament last week for Memorial Weekend, and one of the parents, uh, who's close with us as a Packers fan, 
And he came up to me and said, hey, man, Bart Starr died. And I was like, what? And I'm, you know, like part of me is thinking like, you know, I'm in the middle of the second inning of a, of a tournament game. I'm trying to, you know, get this team positioned to win so we can get a good seed and all that sort of stuff throughout the course of the day. And the other part of me is thinking like, damn, dude, like that's Bart Starr. We're not talking about, you know, just some random person. This is like arguably the greatest player in the history of the Green Bay Packers. So it was one of those things where I had to like take a minute, step around and like collect my thoughts and everything like that just real quickly, just because I wasn't expecting to hear that at all because all you had heard through, you know, the last off season and, you know, other stuff was that Star was doing better and hoping to make a trip to Green Bay this season. And when you hear things like that, you're like, oh man, that's awesome. Like he's doing better. He's doing well. Um, you know, you could tell obviously some of the stuff with his health had deteriorated. You could tell that on Thanksgiving. I will say he, he came to Thanksgiving in 2015 for Favre's Jersey retirement. And when he came the next year or two years later, excuse me, for the new Orleans saints game, uh, when Brett Hundley made his first start at home, he was in green Bay. That was his last game that he came to. He did look better then than he did for that Thanksgiving night game. So that was good to see. But it was completely unexpected. I mean, I guess you never really are fully ready to hear that someone that matters to you is ready to pass away or has passed away. Um, but it was definitely a, a just a shock to the system. So, Jason, where were you and, you know, what were the circumstances? Is this something you can vividly remember when somebody told you that Bart Starr had passed away? Yeah, I was uh, – I had just woken up because I'm on the West Coast. So I had just woken up and I saw an alert on our – Cheesehead TV uh, Slack channel, and it was Jersey Al who basically said, can anybody get the news of the sad news about Bart Starr up? You know, so anytime there's breaking news within the Packers world, we all kind of communicate with each other and try to determine who can get that piece up um, as quickly as possible to let our fans know. And then I checked uh, Twitter because Twitter is the, you know, the quickest way to get the news and quickly found out what had happened. So it was very upsetting for me. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I got, I got definitely got missy eyed because um, I never saw Bart Starr play. Uh, Jacob, I know that's surprising to you since, you know, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> applying for AARP coverage. But I actually. Serious did question, have, though. Did you see him coach? Uh, no, because by the time. I started watching Packers football. He was no longer the head coach. It was okay. um, it was Forrest Gregg. Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, and I was not yet into football, and baseball was my passion at that time, and I was, you know, I'm very young, so um, it, it didn't uh, it didn't resonate with me. But um, it, it's a, he's a legend, and what it made me realize was that I didn't know as half of, uh, of what I should have wish I, should, I had known about Bart Starr both as a person and as a player, you know, I mean, the person, the personal stuff and who he was has really taken over because of all of the things that he did. And we've learned a lot about what Bart Starr did as a man and as a, as a, a family member, a husband, a father, a grandfather, and, and some of the great stories that fans have told about interactions with him and how he would personally take down their address and send them autographed pictures after the fact and follow them through on it. And we've heard Andrew Brandt's really cool story about the fan who wrote the the letter when Starr was coaching the team about how he wasn't going to follow the team anymore. And, 
Star's response brought him back into the fold and, and really disarmed this fan, uh, which is, you know, kind of funny because, you know, now everybody just pipes off on Twitter and, and they, like, like this guy did, and they just have to kind of, you know, they get all their groupthink fans and buddies around them, and that's how these, you know, negative narratives kind of take, take place. It's a different time now than it was back then, but a great guy. But I watched, and not to skip over that, but we've, we've seen a lot of examples. It's no surprise. A lot of people know that Bart Starr, you know, he was a great man. But Jake, this, I've never watched as much actual game uh, film on Bart Starr as I have in the last week. He was really damn good. I mean, obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. He's, you know, some people consider him the best quarterback in Packers history. Uh, and I, I can see why now more than ever before. I mean, he was ahead of his time. Uh, he played in an era where the pass wasn't as prolific. But, the, I mean, you could argue that Lombardi and Stars Packers kind of started making the pass more popular. And now look at the game today. He called his own plays, and he was just very fluid as a quarterback. You know, he made some throws that, you know, I watch him play, and I, I know that this is um, – you know, I, I have a biased take on this, and uh, because I'm a Packers fan, it's very easy for me to say this. But Bart Starr is almost like the perfect combina- combination of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he was just as smooth as he was. You know, I mean, he could he could fire it in there. I mean, he was ahead of his time in terms of, of the quarterback position and the way he played it. And I can I can see now why he's a Hall of Famer and. You know, I'm, I'm bummed that I missed that, that time period of, of him playing. Yeah, as far as him as a coach, didn't get to experience that, fortunately, because that was when the Packers were kind of in their dead era of the 70s and 80s. It was the 80s when he coached. And uh, it was a different time back then, and I don't, think he had a, I don't think he had a lot of support. I heard stories about him having to talk to the board of directors and explain why he called certain plays that he did on game day, which is absolutely – you guys are complaining about Mark Murphy – wanting to meet with the head coach and the GM. How about the head coach having to go to a board meeting and explain what he did? So he faced a lot of interesting circumstances, but he will be missed greatly. And, you know, rest in peace, Bart Starr, and and much love and peace to the Starr family, Cherry, his wife, and everybody else. Not to be forgotten at all, and I'm hoping that the team will, and I'm sure that they will in some way honor him this season on the field. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. As far as him being a coach, I've read that Starr has often said that he had wished that he'd waited to come back and be the head coach because he wasn't ready for that level of responsibility just yet. And had he waited, maybe things would have gone better uh, than they did when he was in Green Bay. But it, it didn't, and you know what? That's that's okay because the Packers really – I mean, he's remembered as Bart Starr, the quarterback. His coaching tenure is kind of a footnote as far as how his career went here in uh, here in Wisconsin. So a lot of stuff was said there. You know, the thing with Starr, I think, is there's some people that, you know, like you mentioned, you've been watching some games from, from those days. I've watched stuff, you know, interview, anything really that had him in it just to try to learn a little bit more. And there's something where – there's certain people who, when they're talking, celebrity uh, or otherwise, it doesn't really matter, 
you just kind of stop and listen to everything that they have to say. And you make sure that, I mean, there are people who, like Jason, I zone out when you're talking all the time because what you have to say is just not that important. But, um, you know, there are some people who, when they're talking, you make sure that you take in every single word that they say. There's people like that in your life. Uh, there's people like that uh, in you know in the world outside of your life as well. And Star was one of those people who, when he started talking, or when he starts talking, there's just this presence about him of, hey, what this guy's saying sounds like it should be important. Um, you know, I can't I can't think of other examples like that off the top of my head. Um, but I know that Star is certainly one of those guys where. Like I said, when he starts talking, you start listening. Vince Lombardi is that way, you know, for me as well. Just thinking back to that era when Lombardi talked, and Lombardi was that way for all of his players. If you listen to those guys that played in the '60s, they all unanimously revere him. They refer to him as Coach Lombardi. Still, Vince Lombardi's been dead for 40 years. They still call him Coach as if he was standing right there, and they want to give him that proper respect. And Bart Starr, again, unanimously is discussed as if, you know, he was the cog that made that machine go. Everybody talks about, I mean, yes, those 60s Packers teams had a lot of great players. Ray Nischke, Forrest Gregg, Paul Horning, Willie Wood, Herb Adderley, Willie Davis, Jimmy Taylor, you name them. And I can keep going. I mean, there were a lot of great players on that team, but all of those guys to a man. If you ask, and I would bet if Vince Lombardi were still here, he would say the same thing. He hasn't already. That the most important person, the cog to that machine, was Bart Starr. He was the perfect embodiment of that entire team. You listen to those guys talk about everything from the ice bowl, and if you want to sum up, and I've got goosebumps down my spine just thinking about this, there's a picture on my wall back over here behind me, and it's where I do the show. Every every time I do this show, I sit and I look to my right, and I can see the you know the picture of the ice bowl, and it's Chuck Brissine with his hands in the air and Bart Starr at the bottom of the pile, uh, because he had in the ice bowl. If the Packers run the ball and don't get in, they lose. Plain and simple, they lose. And three consecutive championships, the Holy Grail, as they called it, would not exist. It wasn't a thing. And they have um, a lot of different things go on throughout the course of that game and he tells Lombardi that you know I want to run this play but I want to run it with a little bit of a twist and Vince Lombardi notorious control freak wanted things done you know the exact right way a certain way according to his vision for everything and you know every something that you know people it still kind of happens now you know Nick Foles goes to the sideline in a Super Bowl a couple years ago and asks uh, Doug Peterson, you want Philly, Philly, and they run the Philly special, just for example. And he says, "Yeah, do it." Well, the original of that was Bart Starr telling Vince Lombardi, "I'm going to run a quarterback sneak on 31 wedge," and Vince Lombardi looks him in the face and says, "Run it, and let's get the hell out of here." And sure enough, uh, as the picture over here says, he's he's in the end zone. It's a touchdown. Packers win their third consecutive championship. They go play for the second Super Bowl and they blow out the Raiders. Uh, another game that's kind of a kind of the afterthought, I guess. It turned out to be Lombardi's last season that year, but it was perfect. And I know, you know, in this modern era, we're kind of taught by media folks and people that really buy into 
you know, analytics, I'm one of those people, just, you know, throw that out there as far as extra. I never think extra information is a bad thing, but just with how things have worked and how things have changed and, you know, you're kind of taught and conditioned to believe that what happened before you was garbage and what's happening now is what's the best and the most, you know, progressive version of the game. And those guys who played years ago couldn't play now. And I'm sorry, but, like, there's so many reasons those conversations are stupid. But for my money's worth, and the numbers tell this story and bear that out. So I don't care how many people on ESPN or Fox Sports 1 or whatever tell you that Tom Brady's the greatest postseason quarterback ever, and he's an all-time great, and he's deserving of a lot of the accolades he gets. The greatest postseason quarterback in the history of professional football is Bart Starr, and the numbers bear that out just as they do with the nostalgia, the intangibles, you name it, whatever. All that stuff bears out, and it's not like this was an era where Starr was throwing the ball three yards to the sideline as an extension of the running game like they do now. Throwing the ball was a secondary part of the offense, but Starr was money when it counted every single time, and his teams only lost one postseason game ever, and it was the first one they ever played in together. So take that for what it's worth. It's just one man's opinion, but you want the greatest postseason quarterback in the history of the sport, it's Bart Starr. You want the greatest – maybe he's not the most talented – You know, the most talented quarterback in the history of the Packers is probably Aaron Rodgers. The quarterback that uh, the fans identify with the most, it seems like, is probably Brett Favre. But you want the greatest for everything he's done, everything he's meant to this franchise, everything that he embodied, everything that he is, was, and all that sort of stuff. All of that. The greatest Packer, for my money's worth, is Bart Starr. And deserves every single bit of praise and accolades that have gone his way uh, in the last week. So I know for those that listen to the show every day, first of all, thank you for doing that. We really appreciate that. There's some great people uh, that do the show, and then there's guys like me and Jason, so there's that too. But a lot of people have talked about Bart Starr, but I just I didn't want to let this pass without giving a chance to give you know my thoughts, my um ideas and everything about what he meant not just to this franchise but to me as a fan i mean i know i'm a younger guy if jason didn't see him play i definitely didn't but the the history of this team is something that i fell in love with when i was a little boy and bart Starr was a big part of that i mean i was talking as much as i was talking about brett Favre, and brett Favre was my hero when i was little i i know that but bart Starr was somebody i talked about a lot too and i used to get like legitimately angry when People in my classes, I mean, we're talking about a third-grade classroom, didn't know who Bart Starr was. How dare they? (laughs) I mean, a freaking nine-year-old doesn't know who Bart Starr was. That was insulting to me. Um, But that's where we're at. And I think that, you know, Starr, you can't write this book on the Green Bay Packers, obviously, without him. And he should be one of the prominent chapters once football is no longer to be played, which is hopefully long after I'm not on this planet anymore, but a uh, great player and by all accounts a better person, and that's far more important uh, than anything there. Jason, the last thing I want to go through with Bart Starr, and I want to do this as briefly as we can, is Thanksgiving night when they retired his jersey. Now, 
I did not see this on the broadcast, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But did you? Did they show that stuff for the the casual viewer at home when he came out of the tunnel? They did. They showed a lot of it. So a lot of the stuff that you saw, they showed, and um, you know, we didn't know that at the time. We weren't aware of, of how much of an effort it was for him to be there, and how rough his health was, and all that kind of stuff. You could tell he was ailing, but you know that that could have also been because of age. But I mean, he was smiling. You know, he was engaged. He was talking with Brett Favre. He was Bart Starr, so it was it was awesome because we didn't get a, you know rarely do we get a chance to see him in action at Lambeau Field, so that was kind of a special glimpse into that. Now, unfortunately, the result of the night was not great. Um, I think that was like the only time Jay Cutler ever beat the Packers in the eighty-three times that he tried, <laughs> but. It, it was it was cool. It was cool for somebody who, like I said, for you and I who've never seen him play, any ch- time you get a chance to see him in action as it relates to the Packers, it's special because he's a huge part of the history. And that's the, you know, what you mentioned, Jake, that's the formula for a Hall of Fame player. If you can't write the story of the game without that player, they need to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's why it's funny sometimes when I see some of these players being debated as to whether or not they should get in the Hall of Fame. And that goes for any sport. You know, so-and-so should be in the Hall of Fame. This Donovan McNabb debate earlier this week, it's like, really? You're going to have this debate the week that Bart Starr passed away, and you're going to debate Donovan effing McNabb? Give me a break. You know, like, whether you believe he should be in or not, like, you can write the history of the NFL without Donovan McNabb, I'm sorry to say. And, and if Eagles fans want to at me, they can. That's fine. I'm sure they're all listening to this show. But, yeah, they did. And it was it was really cool to see, and I'm sure it's, it's archived somewhere if you want to go back and watch it. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sure you're listening. My dad's a diehard Eagles fan, by the way. Donovan McNabb's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's just is how it is. I know that what he said was accurate. He does have better numbers than Troy Aikman, but I mean, yeah, McNabb was a is a Hall of very good. My kind of thought on that, Jason's very similar. If I have to think twice about it, he's not a Hall of Famer. It's kind of why, like guys like Philip Rivers or. Matt Ryan or some of these names that come up in, you know, debates in recent. One thing I think we can all agree on is that eventually the worst player in the Hall of Fame is going to be Eli freaking Manning when he gets in. And he absolutely shouldn't, but he's going to. That's not what we're here for. I asked about that because I wanted to, you mentioned it, you know, you had your thoughts, you had your emotions and all that stuff laid out for when that happened. And I can tell you, I was in the stadium that night and... I was standing in the tunnel, and I remember when they drove the cart by with Bart Starr on it, and he just kind of like waved in the direction of everybody that was over there. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And they wanted—they told us, you know, you can either stay uh, in the tunnel or you can go out, you know. And I mean, you had to be busy was kind of the deal with how that was if you were going out there. So I was like, I'm going to try and make myself look busy, but I'm not missing this. Uh, anything to deal with? I mean, that's the only time. Only time in the history of this franchise, all three of those quarterbacks were in the same stadium. Only time that's ever happened. I wasn't missing that. And, you know, even at that age, even as he was older and just frail and beat up and everything that he did to get to that game that night, I mean, it was special. That, Jason, you mentioned the outcome. That's something that years from now, even now, you know, it's it's been, what, it'll be four years this November since that game happened. I don't even care. Like, okay, cool, yeah, the Packers lost that night. Whatever, it doesn't even matter. Like, the whole purpose of that night was those three guys, and specifically, 
I know this sound. I mean, I know it was um, Favre's night, and I know his number was retired and all that stuff. I, I'm sorry, Brett, but uh, you got upstaged that night by Bart Starr uh, because that was just emotional. And anybody who was there, I think, can relate to those things. So, um, again, rest in peace to Bart Starr, his family, everything like that. And, yeah, the Packers do the right thing. Put his number on the back of your helmet this season. They say that there are plans right now to honor him and celebrate his life at halftime of an early regular season game. Uh, that game has yet to be announced as far as what it will be. If I had to put money down, I would bet it's the home opener against the Vikings, but I have no inside information or anything like that on it. But thank you to Bart Starr uh, for the memories and all that stuff. Um, everything that you were, everything that you embodied throughout the last you know, 85 years of your life. Everything you get now is deserved. Um, that's going to do it for this edition of Pack-A-Day. Uh, be sure to check out the show on your favorite podcast account. You can show, uh, follow it on Twitter as well. It's at Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can follow me. I am at Jacob Westendorf. Like I mentioned, my it's Yankees-Red Sox weekend, so a lot of profanities thrown toward the Boston-related fan base is kind of what my Twitter account has been the last couple days. Um, but I'll get back to Packer stuff and get a little bit more on brand. You can follow Jason. He's at Jason Perone. Uh, he will tweet depressing things about the Arizona Diamondbacks and the prodigy that he has that is his son, a future baseball star, JJ, and he's got some good stuff. Uh, so for you know for a, for a young child, he loves baseball, and that's very rare. So as somebody who also loves baseball, that does my heart good. But follow the show. Follow the two of us. Packers, OTAs roll on. It's June, like I mentioned, so we're getting even closer uh, to football season. Only, a, what, two months until training camp, and then we'll be ready for some of the real stuff as far as we're less than 100 days until the Packers take on the Bears for the season opener, uh, which should be a lot of fun uh, this, this month of September. So thank you guys, as always, for listening. And, of course, Go Pack Go! Six trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, and here they come. Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Devontae Adams! Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers! 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the challenge. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. Devontae's got it. Out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness. What a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. 
ever. He delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.